0: All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode
1: sixty-eight. Yeah, got it nothing is. to
0: say about that.
1: No, nothing at all. No, <laughs> no delayed. You know, I'm not gonna slide something in at the end. No, nope. sixty-eight. <sighs> right. This is science in between. It Look is at us, and this and is an
0: auspicious day for us.
1: It is. This is like we're breaking new territory right here. Yeah. It is. Is that is what they
0: is. say? Breaking new territory? I don't I think. think that's
1: no. You don't think it is
0: breaking new ground. I, I just said that exploring just, new territory. You sort of mush them together. I think okay. that's called a portmanteau when you do that. Well,
1: or just, an, just, yeah, or like, an Ollie. I landed an Ollie right there. That's <laughs> what it is. This is Ollie. And that is Scott. Yeah. You know? And this is science in between. And why is this? Why are we breaking new territories?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mean besides the fact that you're using a skateboarding term to describe things that you do poorly?
1: <laughs> I do well. I do. Oh, well. sorry.
0: that so You do well. <laughs>
1: Yes, you know, I do it very well. <laughs>
0: well, the reason we're breaking new territory.
1: <laughs> I'm drumming my, my table because it's like, yeah, like drum roll, please.
0: We have a special guest, our our first ever guest on the show. Yeah. A friend of the show and a special guest.
1: And I'm excited because uh it's Leslie Gates, who's a colleague of mine from Millersville. And I'm going to let Leslie introduce herself. Leslie jump in they're all going to be disappointed i'm not brian brown no, <laughs> no. i think they're, they're yeah we're, we're done trying to get brian brown off, a it's okay no <laughs> Who knows,
2: oh, yeah hey everyone i'm leslie i work at millersville university with ollie and i am an art educator who works actually in a different college Um, teacher education at our university is spread across the colleges. And so we have a college of education and human services, and I work in arts and humanities and social sciences. And I'm an artist, and I train teachers. And so uh, I've been thinking a lot about the relationship between art and science as a result of listening to how many, what well, this is episode, whatever that all that many podcasts Yes, yeah. very, and was, thinking about X, a, a we're more. going to call it X, right. Yeah, X that, number of episodes. Right. And, um, there are some, some of them have really prompted me to think about the concepts that y'all talk about and how, and whether they relate to things that I'm thinking about in my field. Nice.
0: And some of them have probably, uh, had you reconsider life choices, like why you would listen to sixty-eight episodes of this? <laughs> you're never some getting that them, time
2: back. I mean, all three of us are teacher educators, so that helps. There's yeah. enough in common about our work that I, you know, I can stay in it. But there are some times where you all totally lose me. Yeah. So well,
1: well, 60, episode sixty-seven with the uh, what, what was it, montilating the translating
0: Tracksling. track-sling.
1: I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. That's one that's uh, you're gonna you're find gonna, I a lot
2: of. With, I can remember w- what road I was driving on and where I was driving on that road when Scott was giving Ollie that quiz because I, like, I have. <laughs> it belief. was a windy curve and it felt right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, felt so
1: good. Uh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was awesome. <laughs> Seeing me stumble through another thing. Yeah, uh, it's great.
0: Yeah, but well, we should um, we should explain. Um, I mean, part of the reason that that Leslie's here today is. Um, after one of the, uh, our other episodes, uh, that did mention materials and how they get used in, in science, um, Leslie reached out to us via email, which is, if you want to be on the show, apparently this is the way this is is it. You, you send us an email and say, that,
2: that's not why I emailed you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you no. Say, well,
0: what, you <laughs> said something interesting and we're like, Oh yes. my God. <laughs> <laughs> something-
1: well, what, what is, what it was for me was, you know, the, i mean email is like so delayed of a conversation like you know you know leslie emailed and then scott responded a couple days later and i was just like following along with with other you know other things i was doing and then leslie responded a couple days later i'm just like we should play this conversation out in real time and that way we're all in the same place and then if other people find value because i think that the The intersections we see between art and science, there may be other intersections in other disciplines, too, that other people are going, yeah, that that fits for me, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that Leslie and I had a meeting this week with some some folks at another school that they were uh, we were talking to some occupational therapists, which is like completely outside of science and art. You know science education and art education and w- at the end of the session L- leslie and i were like yeah there's a lot of you know overlap between what they're doing and what we do in teacher education and so i think that that's a, I think really the the promise of this conversation is the ability to find other intersections with other disciplines yeah. yeah yeah
2: so one of the things that's curious to me about thinking about relationships between disciplines is that the arts are often considered a family of disciplines, music, theater, dance, visual art. And I think that's because they share common purposes, mainly to express and interpret human experience, right? And so as I thought more about education, one of the things I've realized is that science and art are actually a better family when we talk about the pedagogy and the way that they're taught. Than the arts are. And so, for instance, music is often taught more like a language and more like math because there are symbol Mm. systems and we do a lot of technique and skill on the front end. And students don't play music that they write for the most part while they're learning, unless they do that outside of school. Um, And that's changing a bit in music education, but that change is slow and it's going to be hard won, you know? And so, um, I think about math and foreign language and music in terms of how we teach them is much more similar. And art and science are much more similar. And I think it's partially because they both start with um, observation and questioning and inquiry and experimentation. And both of them are looking at the natural world. Um, and so not I, art isn't exclusively looking at the natural world, but art, it's been a consistent theme in art <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the whole time. And so I think this is especially interesting for the three of us to talk about because we all talk about teaching, that the teaching of science and the teaching of art, even though the purposes of the fields might be different, are actually um, really similar. Yeah, I think what, what you say about the the other like the like like
1: language, you know, foreign language classes, and then also like math. I think that at least with math, I think they're trying to change that a little bit. But I think there is still that pretty traditional. Hey, I'm gonna model, you know, a problem set, and then you're gonna practice it on your own, and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah. And and that is you know same same sort of thing. And and we're trying to move away from that in science. You know, it's still. You know something that happens but you know if you've and you've been with us for 67 episodes you know that that's not the brand of science education that we're promoting right um that it is more you know uh based on you know activities and observations and things where i don't want to like limit it to activities because i know you it's got that probably like sent up a little you know Mm, uh, yeah uh, but but it it experiences phenomenon that we study that we examine that we try to make sense of and it comes back to like trying to make sense of the world around us and i think that's a that's a really good intersection
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you're i mean i think there's a lot of Int- really interesting things in what you just said, Leslie. So I'm trying to unpack them a little bit at a time, but um, but yeah, the idea of thinking about um, what is the relationship in art and in science to the natural world, and and that interpretation process, and what is the role of materials or materiality in that? Right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I think in both cases, there's a sense that. Um, the purpose of the practice is to transform the natural world in some way for some purpose. And, and like you're saying, I think there's a, maybe in art it's to interpret human experience and in science it's to, you know, explain or build explanatory patterns for how the natural world works. But in both cases, there, there's a, there's a human practice. There's a, there's, um, an interpretive human practice that lies at the center of that. Yeah. Yeah. so I, I also think-
2: don't think that any, uh, none of us are satisfied with the way our subjects are currently taught in schools, so mm. we're having conversations that are largely aspirational about the ways they could be taught, yeah. um, but there are a lot of disciplines that are in worse shape than we are in terms of <laughs> teaching through experience, inquiry, etc., and so um, I think art education has um, tried too hard to find concrete things that they can put on tests and quizzes and common mm. assessments in order to make them, make the subject seem legit in a public school context. And that is a misuse of my field's time. Um, but I understand why, we, we're, we just play defense all the time and mm. science isn't that different actually, especially K6, right?
1: For sure, right.
2: So um, I think all the subjects should be taught the way ours are, aspirationally, <laughs> not the yeah. way they actually are sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think I know in music that I start, people are thinking about that. Um, and you know, math is changing pretty rapidly, but man, they're taking some heat for it. Aren't they? Yeah, you no, know?
0: for sure.
1: Yeah. Cause it's like, that's, that's that new math. That's that, you know, that's not how I learned math. And I think that's the same thing we we all face, you know, in terms of, you know, there's that, you know, that we keep coming back to the, you know, the the observation, right. The, you know, the apprenticeship of observation is that, that we learn how to teach, we learn what learning is from, you know, our own experiences. And when it doesn't fit that mold, doesn't fit that apprenticeship we've gone through, then it's something foreign that is something that, you know, that's not right. You know, and, but I, but I think that it, I think the aspirational is, is, is beneficial, right. I think that if we see, You know, I guess this is that classic question that, you know, we always ask in our in our department uh, is do we teach teachers for the schools as they are, as as they could be? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what hopefully we're trying to prepare our teachers to do is to to exist and work in the schools, but also try to get, you know, to to change them and and the process. But we also know the the culture of schools and this came up in our last episode is the culture of schools really hard to change. There's a inertia there that is hard to overcome.
0: Yeah, and there and the other thing is related to that and to our previous episode is that you know, there's the relationship between the the field as a body of knowledge, right, and then the field as a practice. And and I think what I'm hearing from you, Leslie, is one of the things that you're not maybe happy about is is a push towards that body of knowledge in art education to say, oh, we have to create this academic body of knowledge that represents art education. And, and the more that we do that, the more, the more we become, um, respected or valued. Exactly. Uh, And that In, in the academic context. And, and I think science, I think you're right in that science is, you know, more towards the practice end. And I think, you know, maybe math and music, part of the reason that they are, the way they are is those systems are so highly structured, right? I mean, mathematics and music are both mm-hmm. very structured intellectual systems. And so it, it, feels, it feels like they're disconnected from practice. It feels like, well, this is, this is a body of knowledge. We can just teach it as a body of knowledge. Whereas certainly when I think about art, I don't think about it that way. I mean, I understand there is a body of academic knowledge. I'm not trying to minimize that. But when yeah. I think of art, I think of it as a practice.
2: I was thinking about like the epistemology of our different disciplines, and I was mm. thinking about this week how there's not there 's not things you can know in art there are things artists know, but there there's not like um, we 're all not moving towards knowing the same types of things like the mm-hmm. um, the diversity of those experiences is actually the value of art and so as I was reading, I was trying to find some language for this, but there, there's if you if you read about epistemology and art, everyone just talks about how controversial it is, right like there's no consensus in our field and it's because we're not. Um, we make art to express not to know necessarily. And we find some knowing, like as an artist, like sometimes it's just like writing. Sometimes I I might write to think, but sometimes I I also manipulate materials to think. And so I know things at the end that I didn't know at the beginning, but those things aren't structured or predictable or even desired to be that way for a lot of folks. And then we put them in schools and all of a sudden we have to write learning objectives where we've defined the knowledge that we want students to have at the end, and then we back map it. But that is antithetical to the way the artistic process works. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, it's. I was just. I was having having a conversation with a with a teacher about um, ambitious science teaching and how to think about like changing their their curriculum, and you know he he couldn't get his head around the idea that well, if you're really going to teach that way. You can't follow the same sequence in the curriculum as, you know, currently exists, that there's sort of a textbook. You have to rethink it and say, okay, well, I'm going to choose a phenomenon to explain. And that phenomenon is going to draw on parts from not only all over the curriculum in the area I teach, if I'm a chemistry teacher, but likely it's going to have aspects of other parts of science. And this is, this is a particular problem that science has that we've sub siloed into these disciplines, um, you know, it's almost the reverse of social studies, but, um, but I think, you know, that, that idea of, of um, how do you, how do you um, help people? And, and it's interesting to hear that that epistemology is a controversial thing in art, (laughs) but uh, I mean, it's, it's controversial in science too, but in a different way, but the way you talk about it is really fascinating
1: anyway. So, yeah, I think that's a clear divergence though, in terms of how, Artists you know know and how science knows right I mean I think they're you know that that is a difference um in comparison to like you know we i guess we're both at, have at at the root like this sort of like we're we're building an understanding where you know that the that there's still like questions to be asked, but I guess like how we know or what the purpose of knowing is is very different, you know.
2: I actually think when we when we think about the epistemology of our disciplines, as if that's easily defined,
1: right? Yeah. Um,
2: often we end up talking about the process that people in our discipline use, mm-hmm. and so then we're back together again because the processes in our two fields actually look pretty different. The ways of knowing or the ways we come to know something, um, both of them have been described as cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think largely, if we would ask the question, "What does it mean to think like an artist?" or "What does it mean to think like a scientist?" then we're um, we're assuming that there's some differences, right? Like all of the disciplinary literacy stuff is mm-hmm. it's, it silos us again, right? So we've got like historical thinking from Sam Weinberg, and mm-hmm. you know, there's there's traditions in each of the fields yeah. about what does it mean to think like a blank and In our field, the only way we really can answer that is to do two things like we describe the process, the creative process Um, and there's been a ton of models right in the literature about what the creative process looks like and largely people try to. um, They try to i'm going to say draw that they try to visualize what that process is by studying the work of create of um, contemporary artists and so. um then the dilemma we run into in schools is that there are constraints in public schools that aren't that don't exist outside of schools. And so um, like 45 minute periods, for instance, and, um, and then it all starts to break down again. The processes and the and the authentic nature with which student or, you know, through which students can move in a classroom setting, and how that relates or doesn't to life outside of school.
1: I think that when you talk about the the ways of knowing with different disciplines, I think that's the whole basis of like, you know, general education, you know, liberal arts education is that what we're trying to do is to present students different ways of seeing and different ways of knowing. So they have, you know, a historical perspective, a, but I mean, the breakdown though is when it's all taught as bodies of knowledge, rather than as ways of, of knowing or ways of understanding or processes of thinking that it just becomes, okay, now it becomes trivia, right? It just becomes Mm -hmm. like, Hey, I can, can, I'm going to be successful with the, you know, Tuesday night trivia at, you know, the local bar. And that's not the goal of any of it. It's, it's like, there are there are lenses to see the world there are ways of you know uh understanding and and a ways of approaching problems yeah. and and that is i think where the disservice uh lies i think it
2: also breaks down though when we never talk about them in relationship to each other, yeah, which is the value of this conversation
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i think I think that this idea of of like Understanding the practice of the people that do the work, Yeah. Um, you know, that for in science, like if you look at the sort of emergence of the social studies of science, like Bruno Latour's work and people who um, went into laboratory environments to try and study how scientists actually do what they do. I mean, in many respects, that was transformational. It, it, it helped us. To begin to break down this notion of like, there is a scientific method, right? There is an approach to science that all scientists take as opposed to this, um, I don't know mushier notion that we're talking about, which is there, there are ways of engaging with the world to try to understand it that we call science, and but represents a whole bunch of different messy practices that get engaged in in all sorts of different ways by different people depending on their particular interests, and I think that certainly seems like that would map across to art. You know, I mean there there are on some level the reason we group a set of practices together as art is because there's something in common, but there's also, you know, when you talk about a photographer versus a sculptor versus a painter versus a, you know, maybe somebody who does installations or does, you know, performance or, you know, the, the, all those things get put together. Um, it, there must be something about them that we argue is similar. And yet the differences also are, are what define them and make them interesting and, and that we gloss over that, and I think what you're saying, Leslie, and I, I agree with you, is that thinking about even the silo of art and science is is on some level an arbitrary decision to say, like, okay, this is we're going to call this what what's happening over here is science, what's happening over there is art, and we're not going to really talk about what are the practices that might be similar across those things.
1: So I think one of the Leslie, I'm going to like just talk about your exhibit from last summer with your students. You know, so you had this paper making. Uh, class that you it was it was right that am i it was yeah, a, i'll set it
2: up and then you talk about whatever you're going to
1: say <clears throat> okay way. yeah talk <laughs> about it. So, yeah I...
2: so i have a graduate class it's called the curriculum seminar and we talk about alternative models of thinking about curriculum in an art classroom specifically emergent curriculum and uh we make paper in the afternoons and we use the paper making process as a metaphor for thinking about curriculum and thinking about curriculum that can grow over time together, and then we spend a lot of time thinking about the role documentation plays in that type of a curriculum and reflection Yeah. so then we had an exhibit, which so I got to yeah, see.
1: so I attended the exhibit last summer, and what uh, what was cool was so they were displaying the the paper they 'd made, but then beside it, which was the part where like I like just dug in, was this, these reflections from the the artists and the art teachers they're all art teachers in local schools. Um, but they were describing the processes they were going through to make it make the art and they were all using very different processes from one another, and they were using the reflections to teach one another about the, the process they did, but a lot of it was experimentation, a lot of it was I tried this, and it didn't work and then I tried this and it didn't work and then ultimately, I was and they talk about like the. Outcome that they were seeking from the process, like they were like, "I wanted to be like this, and then I tried, and they were using like a, a variety of different materials and processes and objects and things, and it was cool to see that convergence of this the art the displayed art, but also the experimentation behind it too and so I think that was where it was clear to me that these these disciplines are 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 not you know discrete yeah.
2: Right. I had a I had a few students thinking about like, like how many cicadas can I add to paper pulp before it doesn't stick together anymore and someone was doing it with fabric and um and I think one of the things that's similar about our disciplines is that they both start with some curiosity and wonder um and the imagination of scientists oft, often gets us to the problems in science right I don't know yep. yeah so science is pretty creative especially on the front end finding the problem and when students in schools aren't taking part in the problem finding then it becomes a lot less creative and a lot less like art probably right yeah that's that's exactly Amen, right sister.
0: you strip away you strip away what makes Science as a practice compelling when you do that right i mean it, you've you've turned it into a procedural march through something you know the death march with yeah. fun sauce right i mean but, it, but it's,
1: that's the concern though with art though too, if it becomes sure. such a thing where it is like okay, here's the accessible content that you've got to be able to to memorize and all that, then it becomes the death march, and for a we lot of
2: fun sauce we have glitter Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice
2: but that but it's a no, but, but in a lot of places no. and and I'll
1: say for, for, for my daughter, um, art was a refuge for her. It was the place where she was able to express herself. And, and it was the, you know, the joy of her day every day was being able to go spend Now she is in a a design program now at a college. And so, um, that was where her, you know, passions lie, but, um, but I, I worry that when we become when it becomes this knowledge base to be learned rather than a creative process to express oneself, that um that we're gonna lose some of that. We're gonna lose some of that refuge for students who find that value in that expressing their curiosities that way. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think that tells us that the definitions of all these things, like the, the academic knowledge, comes through the practice like you define the the terms by practicing them right i mean when when i'm listening to you talk about what your students did with the with the curriculum project and they were experimenting right part of the experimentation process is they're trying to define the thing that they're they're trying to understand and they're doing yeah. that through the practice and i think that's what we're talking about in science too we want students to engage in this idea of of yeah i'm trying to define this thing through the practice and i think the thing that gets scary about that, especially for teachers, is that that involves a lot of, you know, well, some people call it failure, and then they would talk about failure and how valuable it is. And I think that's sort of a red herring in some regards. I think what we're really talking about is this idea that, like you have to be wrong to be right. So you have to work through your ideas. You have to have your ideas out and working through them first to get to a place where you feel more comfortable that this idea is productive or is going to accomplish the task that I want it to. But we want them to skip that step. And and that step is what makes the field what it is, right? And so if you say, we're just going to jump right to here's the answer, well yeah. then you've you've missed the whole point and and now you don't actually understand what the discipline is you You just know that there's this thing that I now have to know, and that's what makes me be a science person
2: mm-hmm.
0: or a, or an art person
2: yep and the role of a teacher in that type of a environment is to think about what what to just show students and what not to show students and what constraints to put on the process from the beginning and what not to, you know, in the example of the curriculum seminar class. Um, I didn't want them to waste time trying to figure out how to make paper pulp. Um, and so I showed them things I knew from trial and error. I've taught this class three or four times now, so we're learning like over right I learned with those students It's like well this doesn't work and now I tell them by the oldest blender you can at goodwill it's better. Right. Um, And so I showed them how to do it. And I did a demonstration, like I would have done for my fifth grade art class. Here's the way to do it. And you can experiment with all these other ways, um, but then it allowed them to ask different types of questions, like the next level question, because they understood some fundamental things about the process. Um, But that's a hard decision sometimes, to figure out what to just hand them or to demonstrate it's often in art, it's a demonstration and it's a, it's like an apprenticeship into a known way of something in our field. Um, and I think sometimes art teachers just take that too far and then they give them too much and then the problems aren't left for the students to solve. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's this issue of like, what are the high leverage things you want your students to Put their energy into right. Mm-hmm. So you want to you want to not have them focus on the trivia. You know what? How do I make the paper pulp? That's not the thing, right? So, um, so but making that distinction, like deciding what are the what are the really critical things? What are the what are the areas that we want students to reason about? Or pieces mm-hmm. of this thing, this problem that we want them to reason about. And then the rest of the stuff, sure, you can give it to them. But the, I agree with you, Leslie, the problem becomes that we lose track of that goal of scaffolding the complex thinking and just think that, well, the way we get to the complex thinking is to give them everything and then to ask them to do the complex thinking at the end. And it, you can't do that.
1: Right. Then, then because then, then it becomes, okay, here's all the information I have to learn. Right. We're not scaffolding that we're presenting like you know, everything is a knowledge. You know, everything is like, hey, this is knowledge to learn. And then it's like, yeah, it becomes the trivia. Yeah.
0: yeah. And like in the tool analogy, it's like you keep handing them tools and you tell them the name of the tool, but you don't tell them what it, you know, yeah. and maybe you give it a, a definition for what it does, but they don't get to use the tool and they just keep stacking up tools. And so they get this massive pile of tools next to them. And then at the end, you're like, okay, go do the thing, you know, go yeah. build the house. You've got the tools, go build the house. And it's like, well, wait, which one do I use? And when do I use it? It's like, you know, because I told yeah. you what all the tools are and I gave you the definitions and you're fine. Go do it. It's like that's not how that works. Like you you yeah. have to build it through the practice. Yeah.
1: So Leslie, one of the things I, I want you to talk a little bit about is um because I've I've sat in on your classes. Um and at what what i've and i've given your students some feedback on because i 've actually seen some demo lessons even though I like I have no you know background in art education at all <laughs> um, but I think that they one of the reasons that um it was uh, valuable for me and also valuable for your students was that um that's not, there's some some similarities between how we train science teachers and how we train art teachers and if you could talk a little bit about like how how you do that in in your classes to you know support the development of art uh future art educators
2: sure (laughs) i know like
1: it's like give me give us a five minute like you know Um, of everything you do (laughs) okay so if,
2: if students start in an art education program with me as freshmen, they will have me for four courses. And so the way I think about those classes is that each of them has a practice based component where we're learning a skill of teaching and then each of them has like a major concept related to, to it. So um, I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds, but that framework might help. So. Mm -hmm. so the class that ollie's talking about is the second of the four class sequence and the skill that they're learning in that class is how to facilitate a conversation rather than lecture and they have to facilitate a conversation about a work of art um and it is a way for the students both to learn about a bunch of contemporary artists because i put constraints on the types of artists that they can present um and i also want them to work through the dilemmas our teachers face about which contemporary art might be appropriate to talk about with the students so um so that is an example. In in a later class, they do a, a what is called an art education, a demo lecture. So they either record um online. That was actually a helpful post-COVID maneuver in my class, um, or they record in person a five-minute demonstration of material, and then we unpack um how we demonstrate material. Um and how we prompt uh some investigation without doing the investigation for the students, what like the setup, right? Um, So yeah, so there are some intentional uh, skills that I'm trying to send them, the tools you were talking about, but like, actually, here's the tool that we're going to use. And then actually, we're going to use it. And we're going to watch each other use it and give each other feedback about these skills or tools of teaching. And then there's these concepts. Um, One of them that's really important in the third class is we talk about Arthur Eflin's idea of the school art style. So Arthur Eflin, this is like from the mid 70s, wrote an analysis. Um, It was a functional analysis. And he basically said that there's a genre of art that's made in schools that's not made anywhere else. Why is that, right? And so it comes down to the culture of schooling. And I have a practice in that class where I have boxes of artwork that my own kids have made and I bring it in and we sort it into they made this in school. They made this at home. And then we talk about the characteristics of both sets of work. Mm. And then we so so we're trying to, like, drill down to the decisions teachers make from the concept. Um, Yeah. So those are some those are some ways I'm I'm trying to help them think about what art practice in schools could look like to get a a more direct line between the types of things happening in K-12 art classrooms and what contemporary artists are doing outside of schools.
0: Wow. So, so here's my question about my first question about that. I have a ton of questions about that, but, uh, but one question is, so you articulated that really clearly. Um, is there, uh, an analog to ambitious science teaching in art? So is there somebody who has sort of tried to characterize the practices of art teaching, um, in a way that you like what you just did?
2: Well, the problem is, uh, so Mary Haifley, uh is an art education scholar who has called our field out for scholarly amnesia, which is mm-hmm. that we don't work on each other's ideas for very long because we're all creative thinkers and we want to come up with our own idea, and it's um, a major problem in the scholarship of our field. Um, I've been thinking about, I have this idea that actually someone from Penn State has been helping like mentoring me through the thinking of this article that I should write at some point, which is that our teachers need to actually be fluent in a number of pedagogies, and one is demonstrating material and teaching skill, and another one is helping students find their voice and learn to express themselves. And so the problem is there isn't a pedagogy, there are histories of pedagogies in art education, and that art teachers tend to find their tribe and then just teach for that one thing. And I'm trying to figure out like how do we create a theory of art education teaching where folks are fluent, and they can move in and out of those pedagogies that align to the goals we have, because we have multiple goals in art education, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so, so, so it's true in every discipline, mm-hmm. but we want students to express themselves and we want them to have skills and we want them to think creatively. And then art education has 14 other objectives, depending on the flavor of the day. And all of those have pedagogical implications. And so what I'm trying to do is help my students understand that there are multiple pedagogies in which they have to be fluent in order to get students to have the, the knowledge and skills that we would want them to know um, at the end of their K-12 experience. So the, the short answer to the question is no. Um, <laughs> the longer answer is we have his, we have pedagogies in our field that we've used for a long time. And the problem in art education is that we tend to focus on one at the expense of all the others for 15 or 20 years. And then we move to the next one. See. And here we are. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I and and I would say the history of science education is a little different but not a lot different from that. Yeah. I mean, we do have we have had tribal uh pedagogies. Um and and but I think we've always had an effort to try and characterize in a broad sense like what what the pedagogies are. I mean, inquiry-based pedagogy being probably the the, the first latest. real attempt to yeah. do that and then and then you know we've moved through versions right. of that over time but um but uh i just i think it's you know as a as a person who thinks about sort of core practices and that that term is loaded across fields um mm-hmm. but this idea that you can help um pre-service teachers by giving them uh or working with them to develop a characterization of teaching practices that are somewhat abstracted the way that you've described them I think um, it's incredibly important because if they don't have that, especially if we want them to teach in new and innovative ways, we need them to have something to hang on to because otherwise they revert, right? They yeah. they revert to the to their apprenticeship of observation and they just do, yeah, well, this is how I did the thing. And when I was in school and I really loved it because that's why I'm here. I'm in science because I love the way they taught science. And yeah.
1: So Leslie, when you talk about those, those, those practices and pedagogies, like how much do you get into the, like the, the, the background, like the, you know, some of the, like, I I don't want to use the we've used the epistemological term a few times today, but like how much do how much you get to the, 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 I don't know, the, the backgrounds, like the ways of understanding the um, some of the learning theory that goes behind each one of those and how that connects to the, the, the practice of, of art and learning art. And doing art, like
2: um, so in the first class. I mean, the first class is called "Children and Their Ideas," and the the questions that we really wrestle with in that class are: Do children have ideas, and are those worth expressing? Um, which now, sounds where silly, do you land? Where do you learning? land on that? I know. <laughs> so uh, it's resonating somehow, but I think we start with a different assumption yeah. when we plan K twelve learning, um, mm-hmm. and so we offer a choice-based Saturday art school program where students come in and we don't plan projects and it forces my students to think about how you plan structures for learning and not what students will do and it's the beginning of our program and it's really upsetting um, to them intellectually right because Mm -hmm. they're they've been successful in traditional art programs and now they're coming to school to major in art education and so um yeah so I I like to dig right at the beliefs that we have about art and the teaching and learning in art. And um, I don't actually think teaching with a very open choice based classroom is the pedagogy or curriculum we should use to get at every goal in art education, but it's the one that's most disruptive. And so we take that one on first Mm -hmm. and then I'll like tackle other beliefs that we have in other classes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's, yep. Go ahead.
2: Emily. What, when, when I, I think about
1: for, for my kids who are both like art kids, um, my son and my daughter, and when they were in, I know you have <laughs> a big heart there, um, when they were in elementary school, it was a lot of, um, make, everybody was making the same you know, piece of works. art. Yep. Um, and so you'd go on, you know, on and, and walk around the school and you'd see the display of, I don't know, 25 cone Santa clauses or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as they got to middle school, uh, my son was like, you know, I'm making this. And I'm like, w- What? I don't understand the project. And He's like, I made the project. This is my thing. This is what I and so he's like he was really, he went through this like cardboard phase where he was like, wanted to make, that was his medium. It's an important
2: (laughs) phase. It it, it was
1: a medium for him. Like we were saving so many boxes and every single like oatmeal container and every, like everything we were saving as, as something that could be found art for him or like the basis of art for him.
2: Yeah. We have a cabinet of cardboard in our classroom
1: yeah and but it was it was so cool to see the shift and he was like yeah i want to make a larger than life nintendo out of cardboard and he came home with this gigantic nintendo that and these are the controllers and it was like you know two or three times and everything was to scale and it was like wow this is really cool and i go what class is this and like what are you supposed to be learning he's like i'm making art this is what i'm learning and i'm like this is awesome and but but i but it was really cool to see that shift you know to see the shift and also like the shift in in motivation for him and also the pride in terms of what he because there was a sense of ownership over what he made that was very different in in elementary school versus when he was in middle school and and i think that like taps into a lot of what you're talking about is that shift in how art education and how disruptive that can be. Um, But in a good way, because kids do have ideas, you know, they do have ideas and uh, that they want to share and they want to explore. Yeah. Sometimes it's in, in cardboard.
2: One of my friends, Jim, um, who is the director of the circle school in Harrisburg, he says, um, children never run out of agenda.
1: No, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I hear in that exactly the same struggles that my students have in that, um you know we talk about eliciting students ideas as as a practice in science so the first the first in, uh, practice in the in the actual enactment practices in ambitious science teaching elicit students ideas but even then what they say is well the reason we have to do that is so we know what they ha- what they're wrong about so we right. can fix it so we, we got to get, get that misconception it. yeah because yeah. 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 that, uh-huh. cuz that's the t- and so that is hard too like it, it's you know i mean one of the things i love about teacher education it is that it's it's a a problem without a ceiling right it there you never get to a solution you're always just saying oh this is a little bit better than the last version and here's why but you you never say okay now i've got it solved and i'm going to send my kids out and they're going to do great things that's the beautiful
2: thing about art and science is that there's more problems there's always more problems right
0: and I think that's a perfect segue so, into yeah. joys because problems and joys almost always go together. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I I know you know how this works, Leslie. But we'll give you a second in case you haven't thought about a joy that you want to share. But we'll start as we usually do with Ollie. I
1: think. Uh, does it start with me? I I think we should go back and take a look at you know all okay. of the episodes. Yeah. You I, just I know I, I always that's, come prepared. That's what you can
0: do over the holidays. You that's can go the, back and, and mark. You can do a little tally sheet.
2: It's it's that Who I come prepared. First? That's I'll, what this. is. I'll do that for you for Christmas. I can,
0: <laughs> Next. I'll, I'll give
2: you some data for Christmas. What, what a great <laughs> gift. I, I'm, lying. I'm not going to go do that. No. I'm so I glad. <laughs> I can't even tell you. All right. So
1: here's, here's my joy. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so one of the things that... Um, in in our house, my, my my wife is like an amazing uh baker cook. She just is, you know, exceptional. She's one of these like people who studies this. And so over over the uh holiday break recently, um She and I had a big bulk of time where the two of us could, you know, just work and bake together. And one of the things that we did was we've always wanted to make macarons like the, you know, the French cookies that have like the the made from meringue. And and it's a time consuming process um, because there's a lot of waiting and taking temperatures and doing this. It's very, you know, there's a lot of. You know detail that's involved with this. Um, my joy is not just the making of the macrons and the <laughs> and the you know that they came out okay, but the the book that we used is called Dory's Cook Dory's Cookies, and it's uh, the author is uh, uh, Dory uh, Greenspan, and it's it covers so many different cookies. But the the great thing about it is she talks about the science of the of the processes you have to do like and why you're doing this so if you're making a cookie like a shortbread cookie one of the things you have to make the dough and then put it in the free, uh, fridge for like a couple hours so that the the butter can get in there and get cold and so when you cook it the butter doesn't just run out and that's what makes the shortbread cookie so good and so in this like Literally, the recipe for making a macaron was like no less than six pages long. And and it was like detailing why you need to do it. So it's not just like wait like 15 minutes. It was like you need to wait 15 minutes because and it's like very descriptive and you're waiting for this to happen so that it's not just like 15 minutes. She's like 15 minutes plus or minus touch the top of it and if your fingers don't doing this then you need to leave, wait a little longer and it's just like that level of detail is just so it's instructive and that i think is the part that that i find joy in is that you, you're not just learning how to make a cookie but you're also learning the like the backgrounds of baking
0: which is cool you know so Dory's cookies nice yeah all right leslie you want to go next uh sure sure
2: so uh there's a cactus in my house and it is uh going nuts with blooms right now and the reason that's cool is because this is um the cactus that came to live at my house when my grandfather died this summer because it was his and it's the first season it's um blooming i think i've been studying the type of cactus it is and i'm not going to use the correct biological name but it's a thanksgiving cactus so it's the season right it's going nice um but my grandfather was real he was always in all of what his uh, grandchildren were doing and accomplishing with their lives. And so it's interesting because this is the hard part of the semester and I get home and I always see this cactus and it's like a quiet fanfare, like a little cheerleader. <laughs> um, and as Ollie knows, I am not super good at public um, recognition or general receiving of compliments or any of that. And so it's, visually loud and auditorily silent and it's the perfect leslie cheerleader from my grandfather a few months later pretty cool that's awesome that is awesome that's great
0: i I, well uh so mine is not nearly as as uh technical and specific as uh ollie's or as beautiful as leslie's (laughs) uh, mine, but mine is, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but this time of year, I just love leftovers. Like I, I gotta say like, they bring me so much joy, like opening up the fridge and seeing like Turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and knowing I can pull them all out and smash them into one big sandwich and then put them in my face. It's like, Oh my God, that's so good. It's, it's, uh, it's not hard it's not, it's not complicated. Like Dory, I don't have to poke stuff to see if it's ready. (laughs) I just pull it out and I put whatever accommodation I'm feeling at the moment on slices of bread and, and I have a meal. And uh, so yeah, leftovers. Oh my God. So good. And it's the investment.
2: That's right. You're, you're, you know, you're benefiting from the investment of the time.
0: That's right. Yeah. Good part, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Leftovers. So I know everybody loves them, but d- d- don't fail to appreciate them.
1: Whew. I wonder how we're going to link to that in, in the uh, show I'll notes. Find, like how I'm to- sure Wikipedia
0: <laughs> has an entry for Leftovers. Leftovers. <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> Not the Leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> the television show, but just Leftovers. <laughs>
1: Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. The real, Like, I I think that's another joy for, for at least for, for me and for, I'm sure for Scott too, is mm-hmm. that, you know, cause we've, you know, we've interacted, you know, through email a handful of times, Leslie, you, you and I interact all the time, but like, you know, the, the three of us through email and it's so great to have you in the space and, and, yeah. And, and yeah, and, yeah it, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. And I'm sure there 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 may be opportunities down the road for us to revisit a, another topic or two. So, you're always welcome here. Sounds good.
2: Friend
0: yeah. of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> the actual friend of the show as opposed yeah. to
1: that yeah, Prime like, Brown <laughs> and John Dewey who's Oh, John Dewey.
0: Well, he's got a pretty good <laughs> excuse. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: we, we're going to I'm going to effort to try to get him on the show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> please, please do bring bring a medium on to channel yeah. John Dewey for us, yeah
1: that'd be excellent, yeah, uh, something to do over the holidays well until well, then, until then, we'll catch you next time in between. See you then, bye now.